Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm the lead pastor, me and my wife, Meredith, and I'm excited to be with you this morning. If you have that Bible app and you'd like to follow along with the, the sermon, I'm actually going to start by reading uh, the text this morning, and that's in there. If you don't have that, you can follow along with a physical Bible, or you can look up on the screens and we'll have everything projected. Uh, we're in the middle of a series. Uh, the series is called Consider the Source consider the source. And what it is, is it's a, a focus on uh, the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians. And this morning's uh, message title is Pursuing Lesser Things, Pursuing Lesser Things. So uh, we're going to um, jump in. 1 Corinthians was written uh, by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to read in, uh, read along. And as we do, I may say Paul from time to time. That's because he's the author. So I don't want you to be lost there. Like, who's this Paul guy you're referring to? So we'll uh, go ahead and start in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And because of the content, I'm going to read the whole chapter. So snuggle in. Let's read a chapter of the Bible together. All right, here we go. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? And that's in reference to an early, earlier chapter. And then he says, what then is Apollos, what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. And the word their servants actually literally is equated to uh, waiters. And so basically just people that are serving. Um, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. For he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is... Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will dis disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test that sort of work each one has done. If the work that is anyone that has, sorry, that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If everyone's work, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple? So he says, you are God's field, you are God's building, you are God's temple. And that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the, for the wisdom of this world is folly or foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. 
So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to carve time out of the the busyness of our life and um, create some margin where we can hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have the opportunity to have an encounter with the living God this morning, that we would leave this place uh, having had that encounter and changed as a result for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. So if your goal was to be able to read a chapter of the Bible today, check that puppy off. Done. You're welcome. I like to help out. The, uh, as, I, as I was looking through this text and as the, the preaching team was kind of working through this and talking about the idea of the pursuit of lesser things and this concept of a foundation being built, I, uh, I started to think of some of the, the tension in my own life regarding foundations. And there's actually, unfortunately, a lot of stories connected to foundations in my life. Uh, but one in particular is actually connected to the house that I was raised in. Uh, my parents' home, uh, we were over there. This is probably going back about a decade. And uh, my dad said, hey, you know how the, the foundation has been a little bit rough? And I said, yeah, because they live in a, a house that was built in the early 1900s. And so there's like field stone. And then on top of the field stone, there's actually like a foundation that was built. And at one point, they moved the house to its current location. And so uh, the basement wasn't very livable, but you know, the foundation seemed solid. And so he brought me down that day. And as we went down, I was like, oh, that's no good. You see, the, the foundation was bowing in. And I thought, that is super unlucky. Um, I don't know what results in that. I don't know how you fix it. And he said, well, you know, they're not too worried about it uh, because they don't think that it'll actually give way. It's been here a long time. It's just, uh, it's got me a little bit concerned. I was like, yeah, that's a little concerning. And then, of course, that question that you're like trying to be polite to your dad, like, so are we safe upstairs? (laughs) Should we run with the children? I'm not sure. And uh, he's like, no, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's like, okay. But then you go upstairs and like literally every step you take, you're like, oh, God, why? You know, it's a floor giving out. And so didn't think too much of it. Honestly, you kind of forget about it because it's in the basement. No one goes down there. And so come and visit and have dinner or whatever go over uh, to the house one day and uh, my younger sister, I have one older and one younger. My younger, if if you know her, she's a piece of work. And she goes, hey, Claude, you been down the basement lately? I was like, no. She's like, yeah, we're going to (laughs) die. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, it's getting pretty bad. And my dad's like, it's not getting that bad. She's like, he's in denial. And I was like, "Uh, dad, like, what have we done? Like, is there anything that you did down there? He's like, yeah, we're, uh, you know, we put some uh, plywood against it and we have uh, some poles that they gave us to reinforce it. And we're kind of like jacking it up with a, with a jack and it's kind of creating tension on it. I was like, oh, it's like, can I go down and see it? He's like, sure. Yeah. So I go down there and now the foundation is like cracked. So it's leaning in further, it's open, and there's a little bit of water like running in. I was like, oh my gosh, wow, so that's good. And he's like, well, I mean, I'm not happy about it, but we're doing everything we can to try to fix it. And so there's plywood across it, and it looks like they're trying to reinforce it, but it looks like a futile game, you know, like this is not going to work. And so fast forward a couple weeks, maybe even a month later, and uh, we're at the house, and um, I come in, and she's like, we have uh, Elise at the time, our oldest, is in a a car um, carrier. And so we're bringing him in. She's like, you're going to want to leave the baby outside. 
And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, it's going to all come down on us. I'm like, will you knock it off? And she can be a bit extreme. She's like, okay. So we walk in. My dad's like, knock it off. It's fine. My mom's like, I don't know. It might be pretty bad. And so we walk in, and we're in the living room, and Jenny comes out, and she has a ball. And she's like, hey, Dad, so how's the, the basement going? And he's like, it's fine. And so she hits the ball and sets it down on the floor, and it just goes, and it rolls across the floor. She's like, yeah, it's all coming down. I'm like, Dad, uh, that looks pretty bad. He's like, yeah, it's, it's getting pretty bad. So I won't go through all the different chunks of time, but I will tell you this. My parents' home is currently unoccupied, and it's because the foundation has actually come in on the one side, and it's so bad that it's going to require the house to be jacked up, and they're going to have to repair that foundation. They're not sure if it's even possible. It's going to cost tens of thousands of dollars. Why? Because the foundation was bad. And so the question I want to ask you is who's relying on your foundation? Who's relying on your foundation? Because regardless of who you are this morning, what walk of life you come from, and, and I realize that there's all different types of people in the room. There's people listening by podcast that are in all different seasons of life or video cast. And so whether you're on the uh, extreme of, listen, I'm a faithful, committed Christ follower, I'm all in, or if you're on the other side saying, listen, I'm not sure there is a God. In fact, I'm rather convinced God doesn't exist. And everywhere in between, we all have something in common, and that's that we have a foundation of our life. We all have a foundation. The question is, who's relying on yours? And so consider that as we move through some of the text here this morning. I want to focus in real quick as, as we get started in verses 2 and 3. So I'm going to reread them. As he says this, Paul says, I fed you with milk, not solid food. For you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh, sorry, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And what I want to focus in on is two things, really. The, his reference to uh, milk and solid food, and then his reference to the reality that behavior in a human way is somehow connected. And so an indicator of spiritual maturity is that the outflow is behavior change. Now, that becomes a point of contention in a lot of uh, circles because we swap that. It's easy to swap that. Um, we say, you know what, if we just change our behavior, then in some way we can be acceptable to God. But, but Paul is saying something entirely different in the context of the cross, of what it is that, that God has done, an indicator of spiritual maturity, the outflow of spiritual maturity is behavior change. So as time goes on, things should be different. You shouldn't think the same way. There should be a process of, of uh, to use an SAT word here, of sanctification, an ongoing process of God doing a work. And the evidence of that is that you consider situations differently, that you deal with things differently. Your, your life simply reveals what you built your foundation on, what you built your foundation on. And you can try and, and behave on Sundays, maybe, even you can come in here and be like, oh, praise the Lord. We can go into worship and be like, mm, I love the Lord. I clap on beat. It's powerful. You know, I'm going to go up and bring an empty offering envelope into the box just so people think I'm giving something. Like, it's really amazing what it is that the Lord has done in me. You know, you can be someone that kind of plays the game of behavior modification, but the reality is your life tells the story 
right? So we can walk into the house and be like, hey, dad, hey, mom, and be like, yeah, everything's fine. And then Jenny puts the ball down. It's like, and it rolls over. She's like, yeah, we're dying, right? Whether you like it or not, the, the, the evidence is clear. Have you inspected some of the problems of your life or do you just kind of keep them in the basement? Like, eh, no one really goes down there anyway. I think we're good. You, you can't hide it at some point. At some point, it becomes impossible to hide it. You can't fix the structure until you address the problem. And the problem is always with the foundation of any structure when it starts to give way. In fact, I submit that your perspective on this reality actually starts to reveal your spiritual maturity. In other words, if, if you like to think that, that creating everything appearing okay is an indicator of health, then you're really revealing that you don't kind of understand the true dynamic. I'll explain. Meredith and I spent uh, 10 years as youth pastors and our healthiest teenagers um, in regards to spirituality were teenagers of two different types of upbringing. One, completely irreligious parents or guardians or whatever dynamic there was. They were completely irreligious or parents were completely committed to the Lord. It were the, the people in between that were messed up. What I mean is this. When a teenager came and said, listen, my parents are far from God. They don't believe there is a God, whatever. There was a stability in that. So when dad functioned a certain way, when mom or the guardian, when they functioned a certain way and they made decisions through the lens of an irreligious person, there was no surprise. Like, well, mom and dad don't believe in God, so of course they're going to decide that. When, when mom and dad believe in the Lord or when their guardian believes in the Lord and they say, listen, we're addressing this issue, so we're going to pray about this or we're going to consider that or whatever that decision-making process looks like, there was a continuity to it that made sense. And so what I'm saying is when there were kids that were somewhere in between, and what I'll call them for the sake of conversation this morning, teenagers struggled the most with their identity in Jesus when their parents were Sunday Christians. Sunday Christians. They couldn't reconcile the inconsistency. We go uh, to church and we hold hands and we act so happy, but when we go home, mom and dad are screaming at each other. And we're like, I don't, I don't get it. Do you guys love each other? Or do you only love each other in certain environments? And so there's an inconsistency that started to, to mess with their minds. You see, what it is that you're pursuing, your kids can see, your neighbors see, your coworkers see. They see the inconsistency. It's confusing to them, the, the pursuit of lesser things. So I ask the question again, who will rely on your foundation? And this can be... I guess kind of a trap in the sense that what we can start to do is say, listen, is this a message on legacy? And in some regards, it really is. Your children are being raised in your environment for those that have kids. But your neighbors are also being exposed to the same way in which you make decisions. Your coworkers, your classmates, whatever season of life you're in, there are people that are watching you pursue something. And are you pursuing lesser things? Who's relying on your foundation? Now listen, I'm not saying you need to like act better, you know, so get your game together. Don't just pretend at church, pretend at home too. <laughs> pretend all the time, everywhere you go. 
I'm not saying that at all. Listen, what I'm saying is be honest about your current reality. Be transparent, be authentic. For, for some reason, the, the church in Corinth was very similar to the church of today, and I, I mean church big C, Christendom as a whole, that there's an expectation or a thought that in order to be in this place, you have to have it all figured out. And that's not true at all. In fact, God laid down his life while we were still enemies of God. And so this is a place for people that are willing to say, yeah, I'm a mess. My foundation's kind of wobbly. Um, I need some help. Being transparent and authentic is actually what our society craves. It's why oftentimes uh, churchgoers get labeled as hypocritical. It's because there's this inconsistency that they can't reconcile. We make decisions similar to the way that they make decisions or similar to people that are atheists that make decisions. Uh, They say, wait, you're exactly the same as everybody else I know. It's an inconsistency. But a willingness to say, yeah, I don't have it all together. Um, in fact, I'm still a work in, pro- in process. God's doing a work in me. What Paul is saying about milk and solid food is really interesting. He's saying, what I gave you was milk. And what we know from previous chapters is what he gave them was Christ and Christ crucified. That's what he said. I preached Christ and I preached Christ crucified. So what he's equating really is that the milk that he provided the Corinthians is the gospel. That which Jesus did. That the gospel wins us. What we'll find out in chapters to come is that he's referring to the solid food, the meat, if you will, as the gospel, Christ crucified. And so he's saying Jesus grows us, that the gospel grows us. So what's interesting about this text is this, is he's saying to the new believer, the gospel is good news. To the maturing believer, it has daily implications a perspective of changing freedom. So the story doesn't change. It's not, it's not about a, a different level of deeper things. It's about a deeper level of awareness of the implications of that which Christ has done. You see, so for someone that's new in their faith, they might say, I can't believe it. I can't believe as much of a mess as I am that Jesus came and he laid down the life, that he lived the life I could not and he died the death that I deserved. That's incredible. It's good news. But for the maturing believer, when we consider the cross, we realize that it symbolizes humility. That, it reali- that We realize that it symbolizes a willingness to lay your life down for another. The, the symbolization of the cross and its implications start to transform the way we live our everyday, the decisions that we make. Paul goes on with a, an agricultural metaphor where he says he planted, and then Apollos, who actually came after him, watered, but only God grows us. Only God does a work in and through us. So you can try and be like, you know what? I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better wife. You know what? I'm going to do my homework. (laughs) Whatever that implication is. You can try as hard as you want, but it's God that grows us. It's our willingness to allow God to do a work that only he can do. And you know what? God also grows the church. So this truth resonates, it resonates with us individually and it also resonates with us corporately. The second part of of verse nine says this, it says, you are God's field, God's building. And he moves on to this building metaphor. Like I said earlier, we all have a foundation. 
the question is, what is your foundation? What is it rooted in? Verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The right foundation is key, not only for others, but for you. This is, as I mentioned, on some levels, it's a message of legacy, but it's not only that. What is it that you are living for, for yourself? We get sold kind of this American dream, this idea of like, hey, someday you can go to college and we'll let you be in debt. I mean, and then as a result, I mean, as a result of you going to college, you'll get that amazing job. They're going to overpay you. It's going to be incredible. And they'll offer you insurance and dental and every, I mean, it's going to be amazing. And they'll pay you so much, you'll pay off all your debt. And then you're going to buy the house of your dreams. It'll probably have a white picket fence. You'll probably get married. You'll have 1.2 children and 2.1 dogs. I'm not sure. I hate when they give those statistics. You're like, what point? I don't understand. Like, I got a paw. Anyway, <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. But, but we get sold this American dream. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not speaking against America. I love America. I love the freedom that it awards us for sure. But if we put all of our hope in America, <laughs> that's going to get pretty messy pretty quick. Regardless of where you are, Democrat, Republican, Independent, I, I don't care. It doesn't even matter. Uh, politics has no place in the church. The fact is, if you put your hope in anything other than Christ, you're going to be kind of disappointed. Even if you get that house, you're like, listen, I own my home. No, you don't. You don't, right? You pay taxes. Like, you pay tax. Even if you walk up and pay cash, you still pay taxes. If you're like, well, it's taxes, uh, you know, because I have the benefits of living in this society. Okay, well, New York has this thing called eminent domain, right? You might not know that if you're a homeowner. Get ready for some news if you don't know. But that just means that the state of New York can come take your stinking property. And the only thing that they have to do is have a bunch of other people tell you how much it's worth, and then they just cut you a check and say, hey, thanks for living here. We're going to knock that down and put a road right through here. That happened to my parents, too. They had a front yard that was really nice and, you know, a little over an acre of yardage, and all of a sudden they decided they were going to expand a highway. And so they came and said, don't worry, though, we're going to give you fair market value. He's like, do I have the opportunity to decide? No, 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 we have people that will tell you what your front lawn is worth. <laughs> Here's a check. You're welcome. And then they just start tearing the snot out of it. Like, don't worry, though. Your taxes will go down because your property's smaller. Thank you. You own it, right? You don't own it. You don't. And even if you do, what does it award you? This idea of American dream, you're kind of buying into this fictitious reality of what? Stability? Of hope? Is that your foundation? Is your foundation in, in spiritual freedom? I mean, uh, in fiscal freedom? I mean, because after all, if I, can, if I can just figure out my own life, then I don't have to worry about the storms because then I have this stability. I have my hope in my home until they decide they want to road through there. <laughs> I have my hope in my retirement until the stock market crashes. I have my hope in my job until they restructure or they get bought out or I just plain get fired. So we can find our hope in so many different things, so many lesser things. We pursue lesser things. We pursue lesser things. And we think about it. What Paul is saying is, listen, you think like humans. 
So he's not even saying it's a bad thing. He's just saying you're looking through a lens of humanity instead of a lens of spirituality. Are, are you considering greater things? So here's a news flash for you. Storms are coming. What have you built the foundation of your life on? Because I've visited a lot of people in my 18 years of full-time ministry. Visited a lot of people in the hospital. I've seen a lot of people take their last breath. And I, I've, I've seen a lot of people articulate the regrets of their life. The things they can't reconcile. The things where they spent a majority of their life pursuing things on this plane. But the reality is they're about to step in to an eternity. They've worked so hard on the legacy on this side of eternity that they're, they're not even sure of what eternity on the other side looks like. The storms will come. Buildings were, uh, were beautiful in Florida. Um, they often are. But in 1992, there was a hurricane called Andrew. It was the first, like, significant hurricane of our lifetime um, in the sense that when it hit, the absolute destruction was unparalleled. There were 15 deaths directly related to the hurricane, and there were another 29 indirectly connected to the hurricane. Listen to this. There were 25 billion, with a B, billion, in 1992 in insured loss. Insured. So there was a whole mess more that was uninsured. $25 billion in insured losses, 15 lives, 29 indirectly. Storms reveal weakness and inferior building materials. So listen, Jesus came so that we can have freedom from the consequences of, life, of sin and death, but also so that we could live life to the fullest. What are you building your life on? Some of you this morning might say, you know what? I get it. Like the more you talk, like I get it. Like I, I, I've got the house, I've got the car, I've got all that stuff. I still feel empty. It still feels like a struggle. I think it's too late. Or you know what? They're, my kids, they've, they've seen me be inconsistent to say the least, you know, and, and the ripple effect of that is significant. It's, it's, it's too late. I want to tell you that's a lie. It's a lie. Some believe that it's too late, but it is a lie. And here's the proof is even in the physical. Hurricane Andrew led to the largest change of Florida building codes in history. And it had a ripple effect to all the states around. Why? Because they saw the wreckage. They saw the wreckage. Listen, it was obvious that what they were doing couldn't hold up to life's storms. So something needed to change. Something needed to change. I want to submit to you this morning, maybe something needs to change. Maybe something needs to change today. I want to tell you something else. You can't change it. <laughs> Yay, welcome to Centerway. There's a problem. You can't solve it. God bless. We'll see you next week. No. But that, that's the tension, right, is that if you could change it, you would have. If you could be a better husband, you'd be a better husband. If you could be a better dad, you'd be a better dad. If you could be a better Christian, you'd try harder. You could already done it. We can't. We see the problem, and that's why we think it's too late. But Paul addresses that reality. 
In verses 14 through 15, he says, If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul is talking about the dynamic of living for Christ opposed to for yourself. So to the Christ follower, real quick, your foundation can be right, but if you're building with the wrong materials, you'll find that what you've contributed has little or no permanent impact on the kingdom. Eternal legacy. Eternal legacy. Whose kingdom are you building? Paul gets to a place where he says, listen, you can't solve your own problem here in the physical, but let me tell you something else. You think you're solving it spiritually? You're not doing that either. There's a problem. Something needs to change in both arenas. The problem goes deeper. He speaks right to the motive, right to the heart. Why do you do what it is that you do? Do you do so you can get? My kids do that. Okay, I'll, I'll let them watch their show as long as I can watch my show after. Like, oh, you're such a good kid. No, like that's complete, like, right? I'm going to negotiate so I can still get what I want. We try to do that with God all the time. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to change my dynamic. Why? Because I want something to come back to me differently. And God's saying, wrong heart, wrong motive. I love you, but come on, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to allow the truth of the gospel to start to impact your decisions in a way that has fruit beyond just the current reality? Because I, I came so you could have life to the fullest. It's all the Lord's. We need to adjust our perspective. We need to adjust our perspective. Verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. We talked about this a little bit in Philippians in the series prior. Do you know enough to know you know nothing? If you think you're still got, like, if you think you've got this thing figured out, you haven't lived enough life yet. And, and the proof is my iPhone. Like, my iPhone can do stuff I don't understand, and I feel like I'm pretty, like, with it, you know? Like, you know, my, my parents are like, I think it's a paperweight. Like, no, it's going to ring. What does that mean? You know, like, no, they're not that bad. But I don't understand all that is possible with just my iPhone. But for some reason, I think I've figured out life. <laughs> I got this thing figured out. Yeah. Really? You don't realize how much you don't know until you kind of come to grips with that reality. It seems like the more I live life, the more I realize how much I don't know. And that's what Paul is talking about here is, listen, it has to start where you come to a place to say, listen, God, your perspective is better. You see things I don't. You understand things I don't. And so I'm not going to try harder. Instead, I'm going to increase my proximity to you. Lord, will you do the work in and through me? So if you're wondering if there's hope this morning where I left you hanging on some things like, you can't change? Listen, you can't change, but God can change you. God can change your perspective. It's a work that God can do in and through you. And you simply have to declare yourself available and willing for God to do the change. You want things rearranged. It's not too late. If you're willing to say, God, will you take this situation? I lay it before you. Will you do a work? Will you change my perspective on this? We spend so much time asking and praying that God will change others, you know? Oh, God, will you just change my wife? Oh, she's so miserable. But enough about Meredith. 
I'm just kidding. No, but like, oh God, will you, will you just, will you change things? Will you change? We always pray about the other things. The oh God, change them, change them. Oh, I've done everything I can, but oh Lord, would you just do a work in my neighbor? Just strike them dead, Lord. You're like, what? Are you kidding me right now? Listen, I love the Lord, but they need to die. You're like, you are wicked. Like, but everybody else is the problem. So often, why? Because that's human thought. God changed them. God changed them, changed my situation. But is it possible? Is it possible that maybe in the basement of our lives, there's a fractured foundation? That there's evidence all around us that we've been pursuing lesser things. That there's gaps that are so obvious that people are looking and they're just kind of setting the ball down and watching it shoot and say, listen, there's an issue. And you're like, no, I think I'm good. Like, I don't think you are. Is it possible that we're fractured at our foundation and God is saying, listen, if you'll just allow Jesus Christ to be the foundation of your life. If you'll just stop pursuing lesser things, if you'd consider the source of hope, if you'd consider the source of peace, if you'd consider the source of joy, would you allow God to do a work that only he can do? Would you open up your hands that you're so white-knuckled, holding on to that relationship, holding on to that dynamic, whatever, and just open your hand and say, okay, God, do what only you can do. Lord, don't change them. <laughs> would you change me? Because I'm willing to change. God, would you make me a better husband? Would you change my perspective, Lord? Would you help me have patience with my kids that I that could be sensitive and tender and yet still corrective and, and allow them to be raised up in a way that glorifies and honors you? God, would you do a work in me so that when I go into work, I change that temperature. I change that dynamic. Lord, would you change my heart towards my neighbor? I think maybe they should live. <laughs> would we allow ourselves to say, God, will you... Will you do a work before it gets so bad that we need to just kind of lift everything else up and clear out that foundation? You see, we need to come to the end of ourselves. Say, okay, I've tried it my way enough. It's exhausting. And the legacy that is my family, I want that to be built on something stronger. The eternal legacy, I want to be built on something that's unshakable. I've walked into people's Hospital rooms where they have literally been screaming into eternity, horrified, horrified because of what they have not been prepared for. And I've gone into other rooms where they're smiling and they're singing. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm at peace. Their family's around them. You're just like, that is life to the fullest. It's a peace that passes all understanding. The nurses are standing around them as they take their last breath. There's tears running down the nurses' faces. They're like... This person's, they have a hope that we don't have or a peace that I don't understand. We need the humility that Jesus modeled when he laid down his authority and he went to a cross for you and for me. God, would you give us your humility? Would you do a work in and through us that we can be attentive to the foundations of our lives? God, would you change my perspective? So this morning, this requires action. The text, it requires something from us. It's, it's something that only God can do in us, but we have the ability to either white-knuckle it and say, God, I'm pretty sure I got this, or we can open up our hands. And so I want you to consider this. It's more of a coaching question. 
when and how will I reprioritize my life? When and how? Because oftentimes we leave this place and maybe you have a, a conversation with a family member or whatever it looks like. And in fact, your kids are in the, the children's ministry and they're going through the same exact content. We do that intentionally so that you'll be able to have conversation as you leave this place. And it, it's going to be a question similar to the one that we're wrestling with. When and how will I reprioritize my life? And maybe this morning for you, it's right this moment. You've never laid your life down and allowed Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. And so this morning, maybe your application is, okay, God, I've tried it my way. I've messed up a lot. Will you come and be the Lord and leader of my life? And I want to tell you it's that easy. If you want to pray that prayer, you can pray that prayer this morning. In fact, I just ask that we would bow our heads and close our eyes so we're not distracted by the movement of the room as we consider the implications of this text on our lives. If that's you this morning and you, you say, you know what, I've never asked Jesus to be the Lord and leader of my life. I'm not going to make you come up or embarrass you or anything. I'm, I'm going to encourage you to simply pray a prayer right now in the quietness of your mind in your chair. Where you simply say, Lord, you lived the life I could not live. You died the death that I deserve. Would you forgive me my sins? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. It's that easy. I'd love to have a conversation with you after the service about the implications of what that could be if you're willing. But for others in this room this morning, as you sit there, I want you to consider the now part of this application. Maybe right now in your chair, you need to say, all right, God, I've been trying to fix my relationship. I've been trying to, to fix my school dynamic, my workplace environment, whatever it might be. But Lord, right now, I want you to reprioritize my life. Lord, would you give me perspective? I declare myself available. At the end of the service, maybe you need to come forward and, and pray and just say, God, would you seal that in my heart and mind? We're about to go into a time of, of worship in response to the word. And as we do, I want to challenge you to apply what it is that we've wrestled with here that you consider the foundation of your life and your pursuit of potentially lesser things and that you just surrender that. Some people in the room, they're gonna lift their hands and the reason they do that in worship is just to symbolize a surrender, an openness, a desire for God to come and do a work. Very similarly, the way a child runs up to a parent and throws their hands up in the air. So I want to challenge you to surrender to God this morning. If you would just stand to your feet and lead us in a prayer as we go into a time of response. Father, we admit corporately and collectively that this is not our church. This is your church. This is a work that you are doing. And so we declare ourselves available for a move of your spirit. Lord, would you do what only you can do in and through our lives? That we would be better husbands, better wives. That we'd be better parents. That we'd be better students. That we'd be better friends, better sons, better daughters. Because of who you are. 
because of that which you have done. Because of the foundation that you have built in our lives that's unshakable, that's unmovable. We worship you, God.